Welcome to the podcast for Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal. Here we take a few of our stories we had on the show today. Winter driving tips, my conversation with a farmer in Abbotsford about the exceptional cooperation between folks out there due to the floods and Space is the Place. We talk to the HR McMillan Space Center coordinator about the big launches ahead for us in 2022. Let's go. Well, you've got to check out the BCAA website right now because they've just published some awesome and really funny because they'll catch you. Snow pause is what they're talking about. They're uh, the what not to do for winter driving. So here to talk us through some of them is Josh Smythe, an automotive manager at BCAA. Good morning, Josh. Good morning. How are you today? I'm good, but I'll tell you what. When as I came over the Lionsgate Bridge uh, from North Vancouver into downtown this morning, I was like, "Is that black ice? Am I mm-hmm. slipping here?" So we need your tips. Let's do this. What are the uh, top tips for winter driving that we need to be aware of right now? Well, right off the top of my head, I have a good five tips that we should always keep in mind. Let's and do speaking it. Of your black, your black ice yeah. uh, creates. Uh, you know, I could hear it in your voice. Uh, a little bit of skid panic in some people. Yes. Um, you know, it's uh, everybody's afraid we're going to lose control and all this kind of stuff. You know, I, I think it's important to re- remember to stay calm, keep your eyes on the road. That's what helps you see that uh, that potential black ice that you were uh, near. Yeah. Uh, keep your hands on the wheel and 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 your movements. Um, you know, your braking and your your accelerating and your your steering, all very controlled and smooth. Yeah, and and you're right. We need to just focus more. So maybe not the time to be blasting tunes or having conversations with people in the back seat. I think we all need to be paying a little bit more attention to the roads for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When the weather goes um, uh, left of center, you know, we always need to be uh, safety centric when we're we're behind the wheel. Yeah. Let's go through some some of your other tips. Um, well, the uh, ball tires, uh, you know, those, those are another thing that uh, people need to keep an eye on. You know, it uh, doesn't matter how good the weather is. If your tires aren't, pre- um, you know, in good shape for it, you're not going to be prepared for the road. You know, um, seasonal tires this time of year are very important. Um, a lot of cases, chains, um, you know, should be carried in the car as well. You know, if you're up in the mountain passes and these kind of things. Um, yeah. Yeah. About chains, who needs them? Oh, well, you know, there's a lot of roads in British Columbia where it's actually law to have chains on them between October and April. So if if you're doing any driving outside of the lower mainland, you should have them with you. Okay. And now one of the tips that I saw on the BCAA page was underestimating weather and street conditions. What's that all about? Well, you know, our weather changes very quick. And, you know, uh, the, the, the conditions can be surprising. We can have a little bit of water that looks like just a small puddle, and it could be a pothole underneath. You know, we, we often have expectations when we jump on the road, and we, when weather changes, those ex- expectations just aren't met. So today we're looking at some icy conditions out there. What should people be adjusting? How should they be adjusting right now as they're driving? Well, when it comes to the icy conditions, you know, we I think we need to put our car technologies away. We get off the cruise control, you, you know, and actually start driving the car for ourselves and then, you know, pay a little bit more attention and get off of the creature comforts of the car. Yeah, why those, get off cruise are, control? Well, you, you know, um, it, it, it allows us to pay more attention because we're, we're actually driving the car more as opposed to the car, you know, driving itself, if you will. And of course, you know, it, it gives us a, more time to give more space between the cars. Uh, it just gives us more, more wear with all of our surroundings. 
So the more space between cars is something that I'm, I'm just trying to pay more attention to in general these days as mm-hmm. I drive, because I, I know other people are have their cell phones out and are distracted. And so if someone's got to throw uh, the brakes on really quickly, I'm always thinking now that I need to leave more space. What's a reasonable amount of space? Well, on a bright, sunny afternoon, they say a good four seconds between cars is what, what we aim for. But as weather conditions start to uh, you know change, uh, we've got to reduce our speed, leaving the gap a little bit more, maybe another full two seconds. You know, So if you can count six seconds between the lamp post of the car in front of you just passed before you get to it, that's a good guesstimation. Okay, that's fair. What about the other side of things? You are trying to be cautious, careful out there for the conditions. You're trying to leave some space. You're going around the speed limit, not exceeding it. Other people are exceeding it. And someone's riding your tail and you feel that pressure. But you also feel like, ah, I see slippery conditions ahead of me. What tips do you have for people to, to handle that anxiety? Well, I think it's important for people to concern themselves with what's in front of them. The people behind them are concerned with what's in front of them. So you're their concern. You need to be concerned about what you're driving into. Now, uh, you know, I can understand the concern, but there's really nothing that we as a driver can do with the people behind us. Uh, you know, flash some hazard lights. If you think they're really close, maybe give them some, some warning. Uh, see if they're, you know, paying adequate attention as well. Turn on your hazards maybe at that point, if you're really impeding traffic as well. Um, you know, to stay safe and you're, you know, uh, concerned about the cars that are going quicker than you, stay within your comfort zone. Okay. Uh, never overestimate your driving skills. Yes. Okay. And what about this one? I found this a really interesting tip to avoid driving unnecessarily. Well, I mean, we're, we're living in a bit of an environment now where we want to keep, uh, you know, visits to, um, you know, essential, these kind of things, um, you know, and, and with weather as it is, you know, with the rain that all just came past and all this kind of stuff, there's a lot of rock slides and all these kind of things that we um, always need to be aware of, but in bad weather conditions are way more evident and, and often happen uh, more often. So, you know, if, if we don't need to go somewhere and the weather conditions are challenging, perhaps, uh, you know, we should leave that task for another day if it's possible. Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot more people are doing this. Uh, they might be uh, living an hour away from family and just choosing not to visit them when the roads are icy. And, and this isn't something that they necessarily would have done before, but because we are talking about weather and, and driving conditions more these days, mm-hmm. given mudslides and, and the flooding and things like that, that it's on people's minds more um, in combination also with uh, gas shortages. And then uh, what about shoveling? Any reminders for us there? Well, you know, shoveling should always be done. And, and of course, you know, take your time with it. It's not a race. Um, You know, it's slippery out there, even when, you know, you're not in your car and you're on your driveway. So shoveling your driveway and and your sidewalks or or shoveling your car out of a a situation, um, you know, can be challenging. Uh, So it's it's one of those things, you know, take your time, pace yourself. And um, one scoop at a time, we'll, we'll get the driveway done. Josh, for safety, what should we be keeping in our car during uh, this season? 
Well, safety kits are always important to keep in your car. Uh, you know, and these include the aforementioned chains that we uh, discussed a little bit uh, a little while ago. Um, and of course, you know, they, there's there's extreme weather um, components to that as well. You know, you want to keep extra blankets in there and and extra clothes in there, uh, rain gear if necessary. Uh, you know, to go somewhere while it's raining. And of course, if if you're keeping snacks and such, uh, check those um, expiry dates. Um, make sure that your protein bars are, are, are still good to eat this year. Uh, go go through your kit once a year and make sure everything's up to date and you have everything like fresh batteries and not batteries that have been sitting there for too long. Right, yes. And also I feel it's important, Josh, to not make to make sure that your snacks are not too good because if they are too good, <laughs> they will not stick around for an emergency. <laughs> hey, thank you so much for talking to us about these tips this morning. This is my pleasure. Have a great Sunday. That was Josh Smythe. He's an automotive manager at BCAA. He said we could all use a refresher on winter driving safety. And judging from the conditions that I saw this morning on my drive-in, I would say that is definitely true. So check out BCAA for their snow pause. Due to the recent flooding in BC, lots of farmers continue to face an uphill battle when it comes to their animals. We go now to Ray Nickel. He owns a poultry farm in Abbotsford. Good morning, Ray. Yes, good morning, Raji. How are you? I'm okay, but first off, thank you for taking the time to share your story with us this morning. The news of what happened uh, there and of what farmers have faced is is devastating with moments of, of getting uplifted by stories of community coming together. How are you feeling? Mm-hmm. Uh, a little exhausted, and, yeah. uh, and, I'm, and I'm not actually having to deal with a specific cleanup in that in that uh, exact area and it's been uh, it's been a long couple of weeks i bet i imagine what's your experience been like with the fraser valley floods well i've been acting uh together with our some of our other producers and um and board reps in the emergency operations so trying to assist our fellow producers getting feed water helping them with their supplies and stuff and and uh, you know doing as much as we can to make uh, make the best of what we what we can in that area with them so we've been trying to work as alongside as we as we as much as we can with them that's great we've been hearing lots of stories about that how is your farm affected so i have i have a farm in chilliwack and i have a couple locations here uh did not get affected by the sumas prairie flood but we've been affected by the supply chain disruptions uh rail trucking feed concerns. Um, when it first happened, uh, our local feed companies were at about a two to three day uh, window because they had run out of uh, supplies. And so that was a bit tenuous and and uh, concern for all poultry producers in the province. And how did you guys get through that? We actually were able to, um, together with the provincial government, get some relief by using material from the ports so the terminals that typically will export um, product were able to secure some of that to help get us past those first couple of days, uh, week in order to until the rails were able to start running and we could get product uh, brought back into our mills. Okay, so are the supply chain issues still affecting you? The supply chains are still affecting us. You're hearing uh, a lot of concern still about. Uh, trucking costs, uh, difficulty. Obviously, I just heard on this morning, like even talking about some of the local roads and whatnot. Yeah. Um, that is that is still impacting us. Um, thank goodness we have Highway One open, 
But, you know, we still have this uh, huge gap between us and the interior, and that still is a big concern for uh, a lot of our members. You mentioned uh, just earlier there a two- to three-day feed window. Can you tell me about that, the feed window, what a farmer's thinking Uh about during that period? Yeah, so we have a really dynamic feed industry here, and people probably don't realize how much... um, animal production is done in the valley but it's pretty intensive and so the feed companies here always have a pretty active supply of rail line and trucking that supplies the mills and so when i say that um the storage within those facilities is is about that two to three day window um and then they need to be getting access to their to their uh their cars that are sitting here but as we knew sumas got shut down a lot of cars are sitting there and there were constraints with them getting uh, those cars out as well as getting trucks in here from other parts of the country. We were restricted. So, so that, was, that was one of the immediate difficulties with just getting supply. And so what, as a farmer, goes through your head when, um, when this is happening? And did you, has this crisis made you rethink in any way that, that process around the feed window, around supply chain issues? Um, you know, you talked about some of the the heroic or you're referring to some of the things that have happened. Well, one of the things even with the feed industry was that they were able to cooperatively work with each other. So we have a feed mill in Chilliwack, for example, that was cut off from, from the mills here. So, so they decided to exchange customers. So the, the Chilliwack company looked after some of the customers that the companies here usually do and like, and vice versa to try and, and manage that uh, producers were put on a bit of a restrictive diet, so to speak. So we had to ration ourselves a little bit for that, for that time period. Um, and with the cooperation of some of the other partners, we were able to get access to some relief. So, um, you know, it's an exercise in, in what you do in, in emergencies. And, and I think that's part of the lessons that we, we learned again, even though we are pretty well uh, versed in, in handling some immediate emergencies, especially around disease threats. Like we're all aware of what, what's happened in the past with some of the avian influenza uh, issues that we've had to deal with. That uh, collaboration that you're referring to there, the cooperation in the industry, is that typical or is it more unusual? We have a very uh, unique system in Canada with supply management, which allows us in many ways to react very quickly and cooperatively when we have these sorts of emergencies. Um, so I would say it's, it's, it's fairly, it's unique and it's probably more typical in Canada than perhaps other parts of the, of the country. Although I don't want to displace my U.S. neighbours, they do work through emergencies as well. But we have a very uh, robust way of doing it. We don't compete with each other, so it's very easy for producers to cooperate together. And even our, um, even our supply chain partners are, are used to working together with us. And so um, that was really good. And, and where we have shortfalls, we, we can use our interprovincial uh, partners as well to, to uh, shore up supply and do some of those things. That was a struggle this time because of the uh, some of the breakdown in transport, even between our, uh, our provincial partners. I know that the province has offered uh, some help. How have you found the province? How would you rate them in terms of helping the farmers at this time? Oh, the province has has been been very good. I would rate them. I'd rate them very high. I mean, like I mentioned, the the feed supply issue was was a big uh, a big piece for them, and and they certainly have been helping us, particularly in some of the disposal and cleanup process that we're we're going through right now. Um, 
We have had difficulty for sure in some of the access and transport stuff. That has been a big, big problem. Um, I wouldn't necessarily uh, throw that on on uh, on the province, so to speak, but um, um, that's been a problem for everybody. I mean, it wasn't an evacuation order. We had difficulty um, with even getting in and out of there. So that's something we're still working through. Ray, I have a maybe a more philosophical question for you. Sure. Farming is not an easy vocation. It's tough work. What has this time made you think about what you do, about farming in general? I think that it's made me appreciate it even more. I am amazed at some of the resilience and the creativity of producers again, uh, particularly like in that Sumas Prairie area. Uh, one of the, one, a cool story was when it first happened in the Abbotsford had to shut the water off. Um, we knew there was a, a, a number of our members in there. Uh, there's 43 farms that are located in that Sumas Prairie area and, and a number of them were without water. And we're talking fairly large operations. And, and so it's not like just uh, an easy task. We had a, a um, an organization here that was, worked with us getting a bunch of uh, plastic totes together. We were able to get them in there with pumps and get water to a lot of those those members. When we got in there, we had already found that most of them had already been able to look after themselves and with their dairy neighbors and others to get water supply for the for the next two or three days to get them through that time. So just the the way that they they work together. So it's actually Re- renewed my my uh, appreciation and interest in farming. So I'm I'm more excited to farm than I ever was. Wow. So what's the road ahead look like for you? <laughs> um, we will definitely take this into consideration as some of the, the forward planning, um, risk mitigation things, how, how we do this. Um, uh, I don't want to minimize what's happened there. We have many of our producers that are going to struggle for months, uh, weeks and months to, to get rebuilt. And, and you've seen some of the pictures of what that looks like. It's very daunting. Um, and so we will put measures and plans into place to hopefully uh, be better prepared in the future. That's not just with producers, but some of this is definitely on the province. Um, we and the city, we need better uh, fortification. We need better alert systems. Um, we don't want to have to go through this sort of thing again. It, it, some of it was unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being with us, Ray. Thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it. We do really appreciate all the uh, support and uh, interest we've had from the community. It's been really good and uh, hasn't gone unnoticed. So thank you. Thanks for your time this morning. Well, I don't know about you, but I find a lot of uh, my spiritual inspiration in space. And I can't wait to talk to my next guest. Michael Unger is the program coordinator at HR McMillan Space Center in Vancouver. He's on the line and he's going to be telling us about what things we can look forward to learning about happening in space news. Good morning, Michael. Hi, Raji. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's so great of you to join us. And I, I love this look ahead to <laughs> what's happening in space in the future. You're the guy to let us know. So so what what can we look forward to? Well, I like that you said that you find your spiritual inspiration in space. And in 2022, there's going to be some space missions, you know, of robots and humans going to other worlds. But these missions are really about life in the search for it, in understanding what humans can do. And so space exploration is really about the search for ourselves. And so I'm really excited to tell you about some of these missions. 
I love it. So, so you start us off. Where do you want to start? Well, let's start off with some worlds. Um, let's start off in the asteroid belt. Now, asteroids, of course, are uh, places that remember from when you're first exploring, learning about the solar system, that place in between Mars and Jupiter, like these very rocky worlds. Now, asteroids can really cause a lot of problems for humans. They cause a lot of problems for dinosaurs way back when. But the difference between dinosaurs and humans is that we've got a space program. We can actually go and explore these worlds. And there is a mission that is going to be going to this asteroid called Psyche. And it's uh, in between that Mars and Jupiter um, place. And it's really a metal asteroid. So a place that we can uh, perhaps use for some resources, but really understand what's inside of this asteroid. If a world like this came um, close to Earth, uh, we want to know what we can do with it. And so this mission, which is going to be launching uh, later this year, around August, um, will be going to that asteroid. I love it. <laughs> we heard a lot about <laughs> asteroids in 2021, including ones that uh, went through rooftops and, and landed in people's yeah. rooms. But we wouldn't be expecting that to happen with this asteroid. <laughs> no, not this one at all. But there's there's many missions that are be going to be going to asteroids. There was another one that was launched just this past year called DART. It's called the Double Asteroid Redirect Mission. And that's specifically looking at could we send, you know, a rocket to change the direct the, the directory of uh, of the asteroid. So if you think back to Armageddon, you know, trying to drill down into the asteroid, uh, trying to save humanity, you know, we want to learn about how we can save ourselves, but we want to actually really learn about what's inside of these asteroids for many reasons, but mostly to protect ourselves. And the, another one called Juice? Oh, yeah. This one is one of my favorites. So JUICE stands for Jupiter Icy Moon Explorer. And it is going to not just Jupiter, which is the largest planet in our solar system, but the moons of Jupiter. Now, these moons are some of the coolest, uh, no pun intended, worlds in our solar system. Uh, one in particular called Europa, which I highly encourage you to look up a picture of Europa if you're listening to this right now. It looks like a world right out of Star Wars. It is this white world because it is covered in ice, but then it's got these like red lines wow. as if like... I'm looking at it, Michael. It's <laughs> it's beautiful and yeah, otherworldly. And I feel like I'm watching it. It's very cinematic even. Yeah, and those lines are the cracks in the ice, but they're red, which gives you this indication that there's something interesting going on here. The radiation from Jupiter is uh, basically eradicating, um, you know, the ice on the surface of Europa, but underneath of that ice, those cracks are being um, moved around because there's an ocean of water liquid water underneath that surface and that ocean on Europa is more water than um the water that's on earth wow. so you can imagine that there could be stuff living in that ocean now it's hard to get down into that ocean uh what we have to do first is a mission like juice which is going to be exploring is going to be surveying uh Europa as well as some of the other moons of Jupiter so that eventually we can go and perhaps explore into that ice perhaps finding some signs of life. Wow. What could we expect to find in the water behind the <laughs> ice? Well, you know, it's really interesting because just off of the coast uh, here in British Columbia, um, down in some of the deepest, darkest places of the ocean, uh, you know, back, you know, many years ago, they actually found life um, 
where there was no sunlight, but it was living off of these hot smokers that were coming out of the Earth's core. And this really started to change our perception of where life can thrive. If life could thrive down here in like these weird, dark places of the ocean, perhaps you, you don't need sunlight um, to produce life. Perhaps life could feed off of other types of energy. And this is the same type of, um, of situation that we may be seeing uh, underneath in Europa. Incredible. I'm really appreciating, Michael, these pictures of Europa online. They're just gorgeous. So I'm encouraging yeah. our listeners to check it out online. Um, and then SpaceX has uh, some missions ahead, right? Well, so this past year, I often get calls, not from just yourself, Raj. I know you, um, you you might like to know that I do get other calls from people wanting to talk about space missions. And quite often, um, they want to talk about SpaceX. It's a new company. It's flashy. Elon Musk is in the news a lot. And for good reason. He's doing things that, you know, nobody has really ever seen before. And he's building spaceships that, uh, you know, that are brand new, ones that are right out of science fiction. He's got a new one called Starship, which... If if you again, if you Google a picture of it, it looks like it's straight out of science fiction. But this um, spaceship and starship, as it's called, um, is going to change the way that humans explore space. He wants to send this one to Mars. Now, this is a very ambitious idea to uh, to send humans to Mars. It's an idea that, of course, you know NASA and uh, the European Space Agency they've talked about. They're being very cautious about it because it's fraught with a lot of danger. You know, but you know Elon Musk, he you know he doesn't use taxpayer money he uses his own money so he's kind of you know the space cowboy and he's you know creating this new landscape of private companies uh sending missions into space and 2022 is going to be the biggest year there's 36 planned launches of uh for spacex they have this partnership with nasa to not only you know build this thing called starship which will at first just send, you know, uh, supplies to the astronauts and the International Space Station, but then eventually to the Lunar Gateway, which is going to be the sequel to the International Space Station, which is going to be the space station that's going to orbit around the moon and then eventually off, the, off to Mars. Wow. Elon Musk's really gone for it. With, with Starship, uh, what are the biggest challenges? Well, really, it's, about, it's the human factor here because... The International Space Station is a orbiting space station that has humans on board. And one of the main missions is trying to figure out what happens to the human body when it's not here on Earth and is living in this low orbit environment. Yeah. Now, going off to Mars, that's at least, you know, like a six to eight year, like just travel in a tiny spaceship to another world. So what happens to the human body when it's, you know, in that kind of environment. And, you know, there's no safety net, right? It's kind of like Mars is a long ways away. Once you're uh, on that uh, trajectory off to Mars, you're not coming back to Earth for at least two years. And that is longer than any human has ever been in space. So that's really the major challenge when it comes to human exploration of Mars. So are we looking at this because this is where we look to see if we could become a spacefaring civilization? Well, it's interesting because Mars really is this world that 
is really fascinating for humans. It's a world right now that we have robots that are looking for those ancient signs of life as well. Perseverance was the latest rover that landed this past February. Uh, we flew a Mars drone for the first time, so actually flying a spacecraft for the first time on another world. And again, looking for those ancient signs of life, it's the world, you know, besides the moon, the next place in our solar system that we could potentially walk on. Right. So that intrigues people in. But, you know, there's a lot of debate over whether it's feasible, whether it's actually a place that we can imagine where people might live one day. But we have to really get into this sort of long term thinking. Like, it's hard to think about that right now in 2021, especially with so many problems that are happening here on Earth. But you have to kind of imagine things on a much larger scale. Like, think about What's humanity going to be like in 100 years, 200 years, 500 years? And the steps that we take right now are really going towards that future. And sometimes when I think about these space missions, you have to kind of think of things in like this long term thing. Even like the space missions I talked about earlier, the JUICE and the Psyche missions, those are five year, eight year missions. Some of the scientists that, you know, developed them many years ago, they're not even going to be working on them. So you kind of have to get around this, um, you know, long-term thinking and start to think more cosmically when you think about space exploration. Wow, super interesting. Thank you for being with us this morning, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.